Good morning. How's everyone doing? Welcome to Resurrection Church. Good to see everyone. Hello, those who are watching. I know a few of our members are are not feeling well today, so they're watching online. Hello, guys. Good to see you. Or you, I can't see you, but you can see me. <laughs> Great worship. Great worship. I was actually listening to that song the other day. I'm a. I love that that uh, that song. All right, all right. So we're good. We're good. So um, we've been doing this uh, little series. You know, we had, we're going through Hebrews technically, but we're in a, we're in a layover right now. Okay, <laughs> in this little series, we'll come back and finish Hebrews in a few weeks. Um, where we're talking about what are the principles of effective ministry, a biblical ministry. And these are sort of like principles I see in Scripture that. I've learned and have been taught and experienced, and um, and this is not an exhaustive series. It's not ex- nothing's exhaustive, exhaustive, of course. But these are some key things. Uh, the first one we saw was servant leadership. If you're gonna if you're gonna be someone great in the body of Christ, you're gonna be a servant. And Jesus says, "The greatest among you shall be your servant." So we should always strive to be better servants. You know, more more humility, realizing that we serve Christ, you know, and if Jesus took up the towel and, and served, and he took up um, the, the, the human flesh when he became a human being, he went from being on the throne to being born a humble servant. Uh, we, have to, we follow his lead, okay? So that's the first thing we learned. The second was emphasis on grace. You, growth happens in the atmosphere of grace, in understanding the grace of God, that what God has done for you. We don't work to get acceptance before God. That's taken care of by Jesus Christ. We, we, we sort of work from that acceptance because it's a gratitude thing. It's, it's thank you, Lord. It's, it's, it's a different thing, you know? So emphasis on grace. And the third, the third and fourth were had to do with the Word of God, the priority of God's Word. You know, we um, at our church, God's Word is priority. We, we, we teach it, we study it, we try to live by it, you know? And then last week was the power of God's word to change lives. And, uh, and so that's what we have so far. But today, again, these aren't in any particular order, so I could put any of these things first. But today, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's the next principle, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and part of it is the Holy Spirit does take the word of God. And he, he makes us uh, understand it, right? He leads us, he gives us insight, you know. Uh, he is a spirit of truth. Uh, to to give us a, a remembrance, uh, he says the, the spirit of truth will will give you remembrance of the things I said, right? Uh, and he'll lead you. And so, um, what does it mean to be empowered by the spirit of God? And that's something that I can spend we can spend a whole long time just on that topic alone. But it's it's something when you when you realize that that you cannot live the Christian Christian life on your own power, right? You cannot. Live the Christian life on your own power. Even if you have knowledge of God's word, it still takes the Holy Spirit to empower that. Um, and I'm going to look at a couple scriptures just to sort of launch. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture. You know me, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a glutton for scripture verses, right? So I want you to turn to three, three main verses we're going to look at real fast. Uh, the first is Luke chapter 24. In verse 49, go to Luke chapter 24. 
Luke twenty four forty nine. This is probably the this is one of the last things Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. Luke will continue that in the Book of Acts. But he says, he says. Um, well, actually, let me go back to verse 45 because something, there's something key there. Then he opened up their mind to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. That's going to be very key in this whole empowerment thing, okay? I'll, I'll point that in a second. Now, verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's, he said, guys, don't leave here. Don't leave here until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, we'll explain that through the midst of the sermon. Go to now Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. One eight Acts one eight, chapter one verse eight. Luke writes the book of Acts as well. This is part two to his his work to uh, Theophilus, Theophilus, tongue twister name. His name means God, lover of God. But he says um, uh, Jesus. Um, uh, verse 6, we'll go to verse 6, one, eight, one six. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my what? My witnesses in both Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. In fact... That verse right there is actually the outline for the entire book of Acts. So if you read the entire book of Acts, you'll see the fulfillment that the Spirit of God has given to those in Jerusalem, right, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the, you see that throughout, and that's what happens, is that Luke arranges Acts geographically in one sense. That the Spirit of God is not just given to the Jewish people, it's giving to Gentiles, God fears Samaritans and those. So he starts with Jerusalem in, in chapter two. Is they're in Jerusalem when the Pentecost comes. The last chapter, Paul is in Rome. So he goes from the center, you know, of it all, Jerusalem, to the outer parts of the world in in Rome. And that's and the book of Acts never ends. It's the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. But the idea here is that you will be my witnesses in these places. Okay, I lost some of you guys already. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2. This is just preliminary stuff, okay? 1 Corinthians 2. Look at 1 Corinthians. Now, uh, the Corinthian church was really impressed with with, uh, show, and they're impressed with people. They're impressed with accomplishments, right? Uh, That's, they really got into, in fact, the first part, Paul says, hey, you guys are you guys are divisive because, you know, some say I'm a, a, I am follow Apollos. He's my favorite preacher. I, I'll follow this pastor. He's my, and he goes, Christ was in divide. That's not how it's supposed to be. But, but Paul says, here's what I came to you. He says in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, uh, well, verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of wisdom or word of wisdom, proclaiming to you the witness of God, 
For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you, and this is all I wanted to declare to you, Christ crucified. Okay? Simple, right? I was with you in what? In weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, this is the great Apostle Paul, but when he comes to them, though he's this great Apostle Paul, he has much trepidation when he's presenting the gospel because he realizes he's just a man. Don't build men up. The problem with some people is you build up a person, you follow that, and that person falls, and you go scattering away. Don't follow a man. Follow Jesus, you know? <clears throat> and my word and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. In the Corinthian church, they were, they were, they were uh, impressed with eloquence and logic. You know, oh, this guy has a great argument. And he goes, I didn't come with great persuasion. My sermons weren't that great. They weren't, you know, I didn't rely on my argumentation. But, he says, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and in power. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my preaching and my word not were persuasive words of wisdom, but demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Here's the deal. If you're going to have an effective life, Christian life, or I'm going to have effective ministry, or we're going to have effective ministry for the Lord, we have to understand the place and necessity of the Holy Spirit enabling that task. And the, the main point I'm going to make, I'm going to, and I, I hope I finish this, maybe it's a part two, but because there's a lot to say, the more you realize how utterly dependent and needing you are of God's Spirit to come through, the more He can use that. Just, just the, the more you recognize your need of the Spirit of God, and and here's we're not going to get weird, okay? I'm not going to get into weird stuff. I'm going to give you I'm giving you a strict Bible, but the realization is this: is that Paul says I I didn't realize I didn't come to you with great sermons and great eloquence because I wasn't relying on that. Because you can have the best, most tightly argued sermon or argument to, or whatever, and it doesn't have power. It's the Spirit of God who does that. And the Spirit of God, you can't control or manipulate or twist His arm. Okay? So the more you realize how empty you are of yourself, and empty and needful you are of the Spirit of God, the more... It leaves room for him to do what he's supposed to do. Now, we'll get into, like, like I don't just, I, I study hard, right? So I still do my work, you know? But at the same time, it's the Spirit of God has to do what he has to do. And, and there are times where God will use you when you haven't done anything. You've gotten up in the morning and you say, Lord, I just want you to lead me today by your Holy Spirit. And you go do errands. And you happen to go and meet somebody, a sister in the Lord who needs encouragement. At the exact right time, you appear. And you didn't plan that. You just asked the Lord to lead you. And you walk up to this person, and this person was just about to, to give up. And you say, hey, so-and-so. And they're like, and they start crying. Oh, because the Spirit of God used you, and you encouraged them, and you hadn't, you can't, Take any credit, you just, Lord, you lead me. And he does that with, you don't even know you're being led. 
Isn't that great? All right. So if you get that, that one main, that main point, now we'll get to now a couple of things. And the Holy Spirit has a lot that he does in life, right? Let's just, we're not going to, okay? He does a lot, okay? And there's, there's a couple of main things that he does. One is he gives life, okay? <clears throat> so in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, it talks about how God formed man, right? And then he breathed into man. Man became a life, life, a living person, right? That's Genesis two seven. Book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is before these uh, this valley of dry bones. Go to Ezekiel thirty seven. I know. I, I, did I? Did I give? Well, we well, let's go there. Let's go there. Ezekiel thirty seven. I did that a couple weeks ago. Didn't I take you there too? You okay, let's revisit Ezekiel. It's not a book you go to a lot, right? I mean, you should, but you know, it's not. <laughs> We should. <laughs> we should. Let's let's visit Brother Ezekiel. But Ezekiel, he um, he's before this valley of dry bones, and the Lord tells him in verse five. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, the Lord God, to these bones: Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. And so he prophesied in verse seven. In verse 9, he says, he said to me, in verse 9, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, and, O breath, and breathe on these who were killed, that they may come to life. The same word that's used in Genesis 2-7 is used here, okay? To breathe and give life. Now you get to John chapter 20. Go to John chapter 20. Chapter 20. This is really cool. And Jesus does this. John 20 <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse twenty, um, I think it's twenty-two or twenty-three. This is after the resurrection, and uh, verse twenty-one, he says, "Jesus says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you.'" <clears throat> and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." My opinion, and this is after studying scripture, I think this is when the church is born. This is when the church is made alive. Okay. Now it's interesting. The Greek word that's used in Acts and um, in um, not Acts um, in this chapter, John twenty. Am I in John twenty? Yes. yes. In John twenty, I didn't have coffee today, so I'm kind of. <laughs> but the Spirit of God is going to use it anyway, right? Because I don't need to rust on my coffee drinking. It's. But the the Greek word that's used here is also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, both in Genesis and Ezekiel. They're the same Greek word. Okay? It's the act of God breathing to give life. Okay? So that's one thing that the Holy Spirit does. He gives life, right? But the other thing the Holy Spirit does is he gives power. Now what's interesting is we, like if, we'll go to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. But when you read something in the New Testament... Those guys didn't invent things in the New Testament. Most of the themes are started in the Old Testament. It's just Jesus is the key to understanding it or the fulfillment. So if you see something going on in the New Testament, you're going to say, well, is there precedence in the Old Testament? And guess what? There is. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon people 
in the Old Testament only select people. He would empower people to do service. A king, a prophet, you know, um, a judge who was a, a military deliverer to deliver Israel. Different people at different times, but not everyone. In Acts chapter 2 of the Pentecost, now it's, it's the whole body of Christ. It's everyone, right? But the idea is the same. And I, I read through, not the entire Bible, but I went through the entire Bible looking at this, what the Spirit of God does. And it's consistent from Old Testament to New Testament. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, I read the book of Acts entirely. I just said, I just want to see what happens. I'm like, it's consistent every single time with what happens in the Old Testament. The only difference is that you have more people involved. So can I take you through on this? We're going to go a little longer today, okay? Let's get, yes, Super Bowl's not today. Who cares? The Bills aren't playing, so I don't care, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm going to go through fast, okay? The Spirit of God enables people and anoints them. First of all, when Moses needed help and he had a lot of people to shepherd, God says, I'm going to take of your spirit, the spirit's on you, and place it on 70 elders. And that's where we got the genesis of what elders are. They're supposed to help out you know, Moses and his, his crew, right? That's what God does. In the book of Judges, the Spirit of God would come upon, say, Gideon or Jephthah or Othniel to empower them to do what they're supposed to do, right? There's always empowerment. Samson, um, when Saul is anointed king by Samuel, the Spirit of God came upon him. And he also prophesied as well. That's another byproduct of what happens to the Spirit of God is that you start declaring things of God. Okay? Then he anoints David to be king, and the Spirit of God comes mightily on David as well. He enables Ezekiel to prophesy. And he also enables the Messiah, to do his work. So if you look at Isaiah 42, I'll just read it to you. Isaiah 42 says, Behold, my servant in whom I behold, uphold, my chosen one in whom I soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And he also says that in Isaiah 40, 59, 21. And then our key verse for our church is this, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor and set free the, the, the prisoner and bring the jubilee, your jubilee. That's the spirit of God is upon me to do that stuff, right? In the New Testament, you have the spirit of God resting upon Jesus at his baptism. And at his baptism, he said, this is my son, right? Now, that's what's interesting. Go to Luke. Go to the Gospel of Luke. This is what's really cool. So Jesus is the second person in the Trinity, right? The Son of God. And yet Jesus, because he's, he's fully God and fully a man, yet he lives on this earth in complete dependence on the Lord. He doesn't cheat, right? He says, I don't, the things I hear the Father say, I say. The things I see the Father do, I do. And then the Spirit of God enables him to do his ministry. Okay, so if you go to the Gospel of Luke, and so like um, uh, Luke, um, like Luke three twenty two is his baptism. The Spirit of God descends on him, and, Jesus, and God the Father says, "You're my son." And then look at chapter Luke chapter four. Look at Luke chapter four. Luke four. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was being led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. The Spirit of God actually fills him and then leads him to the wilderness to experience 40 days of, of temptation and sort of reliving the 40, days, 40 years of wandering 
by the Israelites. He's going he's gonna to pass that test. And when he's done, when he's done, he comes now in chapter 4, verse 16, he goes to Nazareth, goes to synagogue, picks up the scroll in verse 17, and then he reads, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closes up, closes up the scroll and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That means I now have been empowered by the spirit of God to do this ministry. And if you look at the rest of Jesus' ministry, he does exactly what he says. He sets people free, gives sight to the blind, declares you know, the good news of the gospel, etc., etc. So when Jesus tells his disciples at the end of Luke and at the beginning of uh, Jack, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he goes, wait here so that you can receive power from on high. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to empower his ministry in life, how much more do I need it? The disciples who lived with Jesus for three plus years, and they saw all kinds of wonderful things, right? They saw things we dreamed of. They heard the living, the, the word of God himself, Jesus, speak. They had all the experience, and they went to the best seminary. Seminaries can't compete with what they went through. They went through the best training, and yet he says, guys, that's not enough. Your knowledge is not enough. Don't rely on your knowledge. Don't rely on your experience. There, are some, there still has to be something intangible. The Spirit of God has to come upon you and empower you. See, sometimes we think we graduate. It's like, hey, God, I got more knowledge. Now I don't need you as much. And it's like just the opposite. If the disciples needed the Holy Spirit's help, how much more do I need him? That's why in Acts chapter 2, go to Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit's given... Then Peter says, look at Acts chapter 2. I know, am I rushing too fast? You guys following? Okay, I'm not going to look at the clock anymore, so just pretend we're Pentecostal, we have a three-hour service, okay? (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) My best friend's Pentecostal, so just, (laughs) we joke around. I love Pentecostal. I hope they didn't offend anyone, I was just being funny, because I'm going to go a little longer. Forgive me. The Spirit of God comes down. <clears throat> Verse 1. And when the, the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Let me just stop right here. Why did they wait until, why did they tarry and wait? It wasn't because was, there was something about tarrying and waiting that does something for God. Doesn't, that does. It's because the day of Pentecost is significant. See, this Passover, which is where the cross happened, right? But if in your Old Testament, you look at the day of Pentecost, it was the day of bringing the harvest. It was the day of harvest. The bringing the, the, the produce. Not the beginning of the harvest, it was the end when you gathered. And what happens on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit's poured out, and there's a huge harvest of souls that come to the church. Amen? Amen. So it has nothing to do with, oh, you should be waiting a long time for the Spirit of God. No, no. It was because they were waiting for that day of the significance with like, Hey, it's Pentecost, and we're getting... It's like John chapter 4. He shares with the woman at the well. Pfft, Holy Spirit's... Let, let her back to the town and come see a man who 
told me everything ever, ever did. And now the townspeople are coming in, and Jesus' disciples are like, you know, um, you should be eating. And I don't, look, look at the fields. They're full of harvest. Why? Because there's souls coming in. So that's what happens, okay? So Pentecost is because now there's a harvest day coming and souls are coming in. They were together in one place and suddenly from heaven there was a violent rushing wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting and appeared uh, to them tongues like fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay, so far so good. Now the significance of it is not just because they're speaking in weird languages. What are they doing? Watch this. Keep watching. Now there were... Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound had occurred, the, pro- the multitude came together and be- they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So in Jerusalem at, at, at this time, there's a, there's, you know, a couple million people sitting you know, there and they're hearing these Gentile hillbillies speaking their language. The tongues were effective for communication. Okay. So they were astounded and say, behold, are these not all speaking Gentile, uh, Galileans? How is it that we each hear of them in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, uh, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the district of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, like the whole world at that time, right? We're hearing them speak things that we understand. We hear them, verse 11, speaking our own uh, tongue, speaking the mighty deeds of God. Remember, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Here they're listening and they're hearing these, these strangers who didn't go to, they didn't take courses at online school to learn Parthenian or Middle Persian, right? The point wasn't just, oh, this is kind of cool. They're speaking and babbling to my ear. No, we're understanding, and what we're hearing is they're declaring God's mighty deeds, which I think includes the resurrection. Because Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses here, here, and everywhere, right? So what's the point? It is the point of empowerment to, to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, all of the book of Acts, you go to the book of Acts, and every single time is we are witnesses to these things. We are witnesses to these things. We are, we are declaring what we saw. They're declaring that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. First of all, first and foremost, the main purpose of us being enabled by the Spirit of God is for us to be witnesses to the living Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's the first, that's the primary goal. If people think, oh, you're weird because you do all this stuff. No, are you getting the, not, the message that Christ is alive through what I'm saying? And these people were, and this is interesting. This is a reverse of what happens at the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, they try to build uh, a thing, uh, uh, hey, look at us, we're strong, you know, we're able, we're, and, and it built up man and bad, we can, we can reach the heavens, we don't need God's help, we'll just reach there, and God says, I'll scatter you, and he mixed up their language. Now, this is the opposite. Why is the opposite? Well, because it is, but, but it's also, instead of man's strength and man's accomplishments, man has nothing to do with what's going on here. In fact, those 120 that are gathered not one of them went home, and like I said, they didn't get their master's or PhD in 
all these other languages, they had nothing to do with what was going on. That's the whole point. They had nothing to do with what was going on. They were just there. It's almost like the Spirit of God said, I'm going to use your mouth, but just sit over here. I'm just going to do speaking through you, you know? And that's what it is to be empowered by the Spirit of God. You can't take credit for it. You can't manipulate, manipulate, machinate, or did I just make up the word? You get the point. It is entirely devoid of your input. Now you're there, but you're not, you're really, it's really God doing what he's doing. And that gives him glory, doesn't it? Would it be that we are people, you know, sometimes God will, and if, and here's the thing, and this is, this is, um, kind of go off on the side here, but if you allow and to be sensitive and say, Lord, would you lead me? There are times he wants to speak through you words of encouragement to others. Words of exhortation. Or maybe correction or, or, or help or assistance through you. Not by you saying, now I need to talk with that because I need to do this. I need to, I need to say this so they could do this and change their way. No, no, no. It's something where you... And this is where it's like when David fought Goliath... What brought Goliath down? Was it the stone and slaying? Or was it, the, or was it God? Well, if David doesn't shoot his stone and doesn't hit Goliath, Goliath's not going down. But if it's all David and his stone and no spirit of God, it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, ultimately, it's God bringing him down. But it's David using what he knows how to do, but he's trusting in the enablement of God to do what he has to do. Amen? It's a subtle thing. So this empowerment by the Holy Spirit is empowerment to be witnesses. Many times in what we see, if I go through the book of Acts, it's Acts chapter 1, we become witnesses of these things. Acts chapter 3, we are witnesses of these things. Acts chapter 4, they're speaking, Peter speaks with boldness and confidence. They spoke boldly for the, resurre- the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the ultimate thing that the Spirit of God does in the, in the book of Acts. Now, sometimes he directs. Sometimes he does direct. That's where you're, like, like it says, this, um, he gives you direction. He says, uh, look, look at Acts chapter 8. Go to Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Here's another example. It's, it's, it's a, there's a direction here, but they'll see, see what the point is. Acts chapter 8. And uh, um, verse 20, um, 29, or verse, verse, okay, verse 26, an angel comes to, to uh, Philip and says, Rise and go south to the road that extends from Jerusalem to Gaza. He goes there, verse 27, there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now he's on his way back home, right? And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit of Philip said, go over and join this chariot. So he's being directed by the spirit. So sometimes being empowered also means to be directed by the spirit of God. For what purpose? Watch this. Philip runs up in verse 30, hears him read the prophet Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? Well, how could I, unless someone guides me, he says in verse 31. So he invites Peter, uh, Peter Philip, rather, 
to come up and sit with him. The, pa- the passage, verse 32, that he was reading was, as a sheep was led to slaughter, as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will recount his generation for his life was removed from the earth? And the eunuchs answered Philip and said, I ask you earnestly, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Excuse me, I got a little. And uh, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. Then later on, he gets, he gets baptized. Now, the Spirit of God directs Philip for the whole purpose of being a witness to lead this man to Jesus. Right? So when the Spirit of God leads you, it's, it's always in conjunction with the plan of God and what's written in the Word of God, right? Like, He'll never lead you in a I mean, the, the Spirit of God will never lead you contrary to the Scripture. That's why you have to be careful when, that's why we use the Word of God as our foundation to judge what's being said by the Spirit, right? But now the Spirit of God is, He's causing Philip to be a witness for this man who ends up hearing the gospel and gets saved. Uh, you see this in other parts of um, the scriptures where the Spirit of God says, hey, set apart for me you know, Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. Okay, that's a good thing because they're going to do missionary work and, and share the gospel. That's all still the main thrust of being witnesses for Christ. So he's like, I want to be used by God. Lord, help me to be a witness for you. Help me to testify to others that you are alive through what you've shown me and taught me and changed in my life. You could be a witness Right? Are you guys with me so far? Okay. By the way, that was Acts chapter 13 with Paul and Barnabas. But the Holy Spirit will direct you in a way to empower you to be witnesses to, the, to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to make a couple observations. Okay? Maybe five observations. And then we'll finish, okay? And some of these are pretty obvious, but, um, and again, this is not an exhaustive study. I mean, you can read and study, you know. But the first observation, of course, I think I've stated this, is that Jesus himself was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus was empowered, I need the power as well. And that's the person of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He always draws attention to Christ. He's he's this perfect gentleman, but he's his job is to, is to lift up Christ. So we worship Jesus. Um, and if Jesus and the early disciples needed the empowerment, so do I. And uh, second observation, this is interesting, and I didn't take you guys through all of the acts and all the examples, but every time the Spirit of God came upon somebody or empowered somebody. There was always a result of something being communicated to others. See, the goal is not just to have some experience and say, I'll have my experience and I'll keep it to myself. The goal is always, whatever God does comes upon you, there's a communication outward to others. Um... That's why Jesus says to the one at the well, hey, if, you know, out of your belly will, cl- will flow rivers of living water. That's, that's speaking of the Spirit of God. 
and we see this happening in, you know, in, in uh, several examples. But um, like, go to go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians five. This is a, a again. This is a, a a good verse to to look at. Ephesians five. And uh, verse <clears throat> verse eighteen. By the way, we're not commanded to be baptized by the Spirit of God, but we're commanded to be filled. There's a different okay. And being filled is a passive verb. Allow yourself to be filled by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God wants to fill you, but watch what happens. Again, we're not getting anything weird here. It's just it's it's communication. Watch this. Don't get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? That's in, right? It's coming in, right? It's allowing him in. Does he stay in? No. What's the result? The effect. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks for all things in the name of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? When you are filled with the Spirit of God, other people know it. And it comes out with how, what you say to them, how you treat them. Right? If you look at Acts, it's, they got, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and oftentimes they prophesied. They declared what God is doing. And sometimes the Spirit of God will, will move in your heart to declare something, a word of encouragement to somebody. Um, this happens, you know, and, and you have to be, you know, and here's the thing, practical lesson is sometimes it sounds scary just because you feel like the Lord is telling you, hey, bring this, the, I, I don't want to say, I did this recently to a few people and I was afraid, I was afraid, like, what if they, you know, I'm like, so I said, don't get offended, but, or don't be scared, but I think the Lord is telling me, and it was a word of encouragement. They're like, they started weeping or Sarah, like they just were, appreciative because it was from God. It was a word of encouragement to them. But at first I was like, Lord, do I, because I was so afraid, you know, there's this, you know, because I don't want to sound, but I was wanting to be obedient though. And the result was they were encouraged. You know? One, one, one brother, he was uh, feeling really discouraged, really discouraged. He's, and he feels like he's going to, you know, just lose it all and everything. And I, and I, I called him up and I texted him. I said, I said, God is not finished with you. I, and I started telling him things from the Lord that he needed to hear. He goes, "That was, that, I needed to hear that." Now that's the body within, within, but it was a communication of the Lord filling me. And I can go on and on, but the point is, whatever the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, always led to something coming out. You know, I'm going to stop here because I have a whole other message to go. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but um, I want to. I want to do this. Let me do this because if 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 Jesus Christ, who was empowered by the Spirit of God, he needed, then here's what you do: is you ask the Lord, "I'm willing, Lord, to be used by you." It doesn't have to be all kinds of commotion. I don't see commotion in circus acts and anywhere in Scripture. What I do is, there are times when the Lord, he's, Paul speaks to Cornelius, and while, or Peter does rather, while he's speaking, the Spirit of God comes upon them, and 
It's like, oh, okay, Holy Spirit's for these people too, you know? You don't have to do that. It's this, the Holy Spirit's gentle, you know? And he doesn't force himself on anyone. But it's a matter of, hey, Lord, lead me today. It's a daily thing. Be willing to take the risk and allow him to use you. And he'll use you without you even realizing you're being, he's directing you and using you and speaking through you. And you look back and like, whoa, that wasn't me. That was totally God. That's the point. That's the entire point. You're there. You're willing. You're a willing vessel. But he's directing it all. And he's looking for that kind of heart and attitude. You know, We'll continue this next, next week. But what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. Then we're going to, talk, we're going to prepare ourselves for communion. Okay? So let me just pray. Father, thank you for your word. and Lord Jesus, thank you for the fact that you have given us the wonderful gift of your Holy Spirit who not only gives us life, but also empowers us to be witnesses of you, Lord. Every single person that is a believer in Christ is a witness to the fact that Christ is alive. And Lord, I pray that you would help us individually and as a church to be spirit-dependent, Lord. That we are led by your Holy Spirit dependent upon your Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't look to ourselves or our strength or our, our, um, our gifts, that we wouldn't rely on any of that. But our full reliance, Lord, would be upon you. Because without you, Lord, we can do nothing. And Lord, you don't... You don't you're not limited by our, our, our strengths. In fact, sometimes our strengths get away, Lord. And you're definitely not limited by our weaknesses. In fact, sometimes, Lord, you, you work most powerfully through our weaknesses. Let it, bo- let it be, Lord, that we boast not in our strengths, but in, in the strength of the Lord. So we just thank you, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord, for giving your Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit's work of drawing us to Christ and giving us understanding of the scripture and encouraging us and sanctifying us. And Lord, make us a body of people, Lord, who are led and empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We take a, just a few minutes, just a minute to prepare your heart for, uh, for the communion. If, Gavin, if you want to pass out the communion. And uh, there's a couple, you know, the, the, the cups are stacked. Um, on top of each other, the juice and the um, the bread. And if you happen to be uh, needing gluten free, um, there's there's um, gluten free uh, uh, cups. There has a lit, has a seal on it. You'll see. So for those who are who are needing gluten free, and uh, just take a few minutes just to uh, prepare your hearts, and um, and then we'll have uh, we'll partake of the Lord's supper.
the Apostle Paul writes, These words in his letters to Corinthians, he says, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, Before the foundation of the world, Lord, you planned to send your Son. Um, Lord, you came willingly. You lived as a man. You lived perfectly, Lord. You didn't harm anyone. But yet, you decided to stand in our place as the Lamb of God, who would be broken, it would take away the sins of the world. Lord, we we do this in remembrance of what you did on the cross. Your body was broken and bruised. And we just are so grateful for that, Lord. Thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you that you allowed yourself to be sacrificed. Let's partake of the bread together. Amen. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Father, again, thank you for your son. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you shed your blood. You were, your blood was spotless, but yet your word says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. You're the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. You've washed away all of our sins. We just give you praise. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Why don't we stand up? What's that one? Glory be to our great God. Hallelujah. Glory be to our great God. Pray the Lord's blessing on you today and just pray that you will be encouraged. Realize that He has you where He needs you and, and He has never He's not leaving you or forsaking you. And when you don't see Him, He's still present. He loves you dearly. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make the Lord May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you guys next time. Remember Saturday, men's groups. And uh, fill out a card if you want to help out or need prayer. And uh, we'll see you next week.